It's the NPR Politics Podcast, here with our weekly roundup of political news. This week, we're going to play a little game. Going to see how long we can go without talking about Donald Trump. Let's see how that goes. And we're going to talk about what's happening on the Democratic side of the race with Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. As always, we'll end the show with Can't Let It Go, where each of us shares something we just can't stop thinking about. Spoiler, someone's going to talk about Michelle Obama's new rap video. First, some intros. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter here at NPR. And I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the Democratic side of the presidential race. And I'm Asma Khalid. I cover demographics and politics. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Okay, first up. So, Tamara, you guys talked a lot on the podcast earlier this week about Trump and how his rhetoric on Muslims and terrorism has changed the race. That was our episode Tuesday, if you missed it. But we have to counter-program a bit here because we don't want to do that thing that so many news outlets are doing right now, which is kind of all Trump. All the time. All the time. I I mean, we were just discussing this, I think, even just in terms of what we want to talk about on the podcast. Is it so hard to talk about anything this election cycle without, in some ways, pivoting back to it? Um, And the thing that happens is if attention moves away from Trump, he says something big and outlandish. And then he sucks all of the oxygen out of the political universe and all anybody's talking about is him. And here we are again. Yeah. And look, some of the Republican candidates who are running against him uh, have criticized the media. Some of the Democrats on the other side have criticized the media. I think a lot of people have had some criticism to say, you know, is this really the most important thing, especially when you talk about a ban on all Muslims, which is something that is not practical, it's not going to happen in Congress. All Republican leaders have come out to condemn it. So people wonder, are you just spending so much time on this one guy and giving him an even bigger platform? Okay. Uh, So, Tam, you've been following Hillary. What's the latest with her? For a long time, she joked about Donald Trump. She made jokes about his hair and her hair. And that changed. This week, her tone got very serious uh, in Iowa, in Waterloo, Iowa. Uh, She said that what he's talking about, here we go again, talking about Trump, is not only shameful, but it's dangerous. In terms of the comments about Muslims. In terms of the comments about Muslims. And her campaign announced that on Tuesday in Minnesota, she's going to deliver a big speech. They're drawing a lot of attention to it uh, to lay out a counterterrorism strategy that protects the U.S. homeland from terrorist attacks. She is going to specifically focus on trying to prevent radicalization of people here in America. And also, I would argue, probably trying to make a little space between herself and President Obama, who has been struggling to reassure people on the fight against ISIS. Yeah. And there was also some interesting stuff from her on this in social media and in some email campaigns. There was a hashtag, was it love Trump's hate? And then an email from one of her aides about being yeah, Muslim. Abedin, okay, who, what was that, Asma? I mean, well, she sort of said, I think the subject line was, I'm a proud Muslim. And, and this then was it, who that said that? Huma Abedin, who's been one of Hillary's uh, sort of closest confidants for many years. And um, and it was a really sort of interesting subject heading, but then sort of went on to turn very quickly political. And I think in one of the emails, she was specifically asking people to buy those love Trump's hate bumper stickers for the, <laughs> yes. for a dollar. And, wow. and the bumper sticker, so Hillary Clinton's campaign came out with this bumper sticker, love Trump's hate. Which feels very gay marriage campaign to me. Also, uh, depending on how you emphasize the word, it could either be that you love Trump's hate or that love Trump's hate. I love well, what Trump's. I love what Trump hates. Exactly. It wasn't. Okay. A, it wasn't a capital T. So I think if you're reading it, you understand that it wasn't a noun. Thanks, Domenico. <laughs> wow. 
But when you're driving by real quickly on the side of the road, you know. Right. But I mean, I think Hillary Clinton went to your point earlier, Tam, about like needing to separate herself from Barack Obama and the speech that she's making on Tuesday when it comes to terrorism. I think that it puts her in a very difficult position when the president's polling numbers when it comes to uh, fighting terrorism have been down over the past year since ISIS's rise. I think that that's, that's something that she's going to have to deal with. Uh, I think though that her hope is that someone like Donald Trump uh, or even Ted Cruz, for that matter, that their policies get more attention and she can wedge herself between to the right of President Obama's policy and to the left of what she feels is an extreme view. I feel like with all of this stuff, I see her less than the other candidates. Is she doing fewer appearances at all? Well, she's doing public events. She's also doing fundraising. Okay. But the thing that, and that's behind closed doors. The the thing I will say about her events, though, is they are generally speaking not designed to be exciting. They're not designed to be newsworthy. They're designed to get front page headlines in in the, those states, the in, local in, papers. in the local paper, in the Waterloo, Iowa, which newspaper. is kind of an old strategy. Yeah, because I feel like on cable strategies. news, I'm not seeing her as much as I yeah, am. Yeah, but GOP it's not folks. a cable news primary for her. You know, huh. when it comes huh. to Republicans, it sort of is a Fox News primary. Uh, but I mean, you'll see Democrats though. I mean, Bernie Sanders the other night popping up on MSNBC, just randomly stopping by to do an interview with Rachel Maddow, and that's mm. the kind of thing that you'll see underneath. Unless you're watching MSNBC because that's your audience or because you're a Fox News watcher. If you're not watching those things at, in prime time when most of their audience is home from work and watching, you're not seeing this alternate primary that's going on. Yeah. Hillary Clinton did go on Seth Meyers' show this week, but she is less exposed. And the other reason, just to get into a little media criticism here, is cable likes a horse race. And there isn't as much of a horse race. There aren't as many horses on the track on the Democratic side and so the Democratic side of the race gets a lot less attention. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can talk about uh, the one New Hampshire primary where Bernie Sanders is leading in a new poll over Hillary Clinton and is maintaining something of a of a lead over her as opposed to where Hillary is doing well in Iowa and some of the southern states where she has uh, what people think to be somewhat of a firewall. Speaking of Bernie Sanders, uh, I followed him around Baltimore on Tuesday of this week. He did a walking tour of the Sandtown neighborhood in Baltimore. This is a neighborhood where uh, Freddie Gray grew up, uh, and it was a neighborhood that had some rioting and looting after his death in police custody. So uh, the most interesting tidbit of news from that day is, in fact, what Bernie chose not to really talk about. Mm -hmm. So he does his walking tour, sworn by press and ministers. But after a closed door meeting with, um, with black pastors, before a press conference, one of his press, uh, actually his press secretary, Simone Sanders, who was of no relation to him, before the press conference, she gets on the mic. Uh, where she doesn't even know the mic's alive, but she says this. Uh, questions about the meeting, questions about Baltimore, why he came. Uh, if you want to ask about Chicago, we have a statement on Chicago that we put out a couple of days ago, so you can definitely ask about Chicago. Don't ask about ISIS today. I mean, it's not on topic. So if it comes up and he wants to talk about it, the senator will let you know. But I appreciate y'all stay on topic. Y'all, when I tell you my jaw dropped, it hit the floor and rattled. I was just like, how in the world are you going to say that this week? 
of all weeks. Don't I mean, because it's ISIS, so much yeah. in the national consciousness and it's what people are concerned about and want to talk about. I mean, but it's just like concerns. you can't not talk about the number one issue mm-hmm. running for president, right? It's, Am I wrong also, in saying that? Here's the thing. It's a misstep by someone on the campaign who doesn't quite realize what the media is going to talk about. And if you tell the media not to talk about oh, something, yeah. that's the thing as the media is going to talk it, about. We were right. tweeting about it. And then right. Bernie had this irate answer where he said, I'm not here today to talk about that. I'm talking about this impoverished neighborhood. We'll get to ISIS right. later, basically. And it was it just it, it, it felt weird. And and that's the thing about this Baltimore event is this was supposed to be a moment, His moment. Yeah. where he could walk through this community, talk about these issues that he's cared about for a long time and that he's been specifically working up a strong policy platform on. And instead, and his supporters would say the mainstream media picked on this tiny little thing that happened and blew it out of proportion. And instead of the images of Bernie Sanders uh you know, surrounded by black pastors. Yeah, yeah, surrounded by black pastors who support him. It's a story about Bernie well, Sanders getting angry because he doesn't want to talk about ISIS. Well, you know what? That's a photo op. And I know campaigns want photo ops and they want things to look like they want them to look. But if you want to be president of the United States, you need to be able to articulate a foreign policy because there are two things that 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 presidents can really most directly impact. That's foreign policy and whether we go to war and judges. You know, you can essentially put people on the Supreme Court. Essentially, they get through for the most part and in lower courts. But if you can't articulate a solid foreign policy, and when Bernie Sanders pivoted after two sentences in the debate immediately after the Paris attacks, I think there were a lot of people who thought who were giving him a look, thinking he might be a serious candidate and questioning that. Yeah. And I mean, so I was in New Hampshire this week as well, um, hunting for Trump supporters. But I ended up talking to three people, one Hillary supporter, one Trump supporter, one uh, Bernie supporter. And over the course of our conversation, she, as a Bernie supporter, ended up talking about ISIS and Muslims, and it was a very important issue to her. And when she says he here, she's talking about Donald Trump. I think what he wants is true. I mean, as the in, way he's set, like, to just ban them from coming in the country for right now. You think that's okay? Just for now. Like, as a not, Bernie Sanders supporter, you think that's okay? Yeah. This is a Bernie Sanders supporter basically <laughs> telling me, I agree with Donald Trump's stance on banning Muslims from entering the country. And she was self-avowed, self-described Bernie supporter. Like, this is top issue for a lot of Americans. And if Bernie can't speak to it, it's going to hurt him. But Bernie made it pretty clear in Baltimore. He'll talk about it a little bit, but he does not want to be sidetracked. He wants to talk about his economic agenda. And I've been digging through the tape going back all the way to the 1970s, found a debate with the help of our stellar intern, Allie, where he largely said the same thing that he's saying now. The fundamental issue facing us in the state is that one half of 1% of the people, the richest one half of 1%, earn as much as the bottom 27%, and the top 3% earn as much as the bottom 40%. That was in 1976. What we have seen in the last 10 years is the richest 1% of the population have seen an 86% increase in their real income, okay? And that was 1991. There is something profoundly wrong when the top one-tenth of 1% owns almost as much wealth as the bottom 90%. And that was this year. The intensity is the same. The message is the same. The thing that has changed are the numbers. Well, look, I mean, <coughs> his level of support, you would say, has grown. No, no, no. no. I mean, like, like oh, the numbers, the numbers economic about economic, economic disparity, got like it, the one percent are even doing better now. That's all. 
Uh, so, Osmond, we've got to pivot really quickly and talk about this new poll that came out with a lot of new data on young people and young voters, right? Yep, that's right. Um, I It comes out twice a year from the Harvard Institute of Politics. They do these sort of wide-ranging, comprehensive looks at millennials, and they've been doing this, I believe, ever since 2000, when the earliest millennials came of age. Um, and so they're looking at young people aged 18 to 29. And one of the sort of more interesting nuggets from this survey was the fact that a majority of people surveyed and I should say a majority of people surveyed in the wake of the Paris attacks, uh, supported the idea of American boots on the ground to fight ISIS. The sample size in this survey post-Paris is smaller, I should note that, but this is a question they have asked three times since April. And uh, the pollster I was talking to suggested that over time he's seeing a hardening of support. And I mean, then, it's it's really interesting. And, and this is a group of people 18 to 29 years old, perhaps a little younger than than maybe the older bunch of millennials. Perhaps they don't have as much of a recollection, I would say, of, of the Iraq or the Afghanistan wars. But sort of the flip side of that also is they were then asked if they would actually want to uh, volunteer or if they would serve themselves. And an overwhelming majority said no. Uh, I think So we're chicken hawks. You said it. I said it. I am one of that group. I'm a millennial. Well, but I think that they do probably mirror what the rest of the country looks like. Like, this is just America, period, right? Like, Americans don't really like to. There has been a division between, uh, you know, Americans fighting in wars and being willing to go to war when they're not their sons and daughters. There hasn't been a draft in this country since Vietnam. Uh, You saw the results of that with protests in the streets because people had a real connection to it. Um, You know, people talk about the greatest generation coming out of World War II. That's because everybody knew somebody who was fighting in the war. That is not the America we live in. We live in an America where people go off and fight wars and, you know, keep the country safe and free that you might not have any idea you know, of a person who's who's gone to war. I, I think the other thing to caution here is that this is all really fresh. Mm-hmm. We we just had a, an attack on American soil on a soft target. And we talked about this a lot in the other podcast, but there's a lot of fear. And the emotion is more raw now than it's been any time in the last decade. And speaking of fear, I was in New Hampshire for about a day and a half, and I went to the Red Barn Diner in Manchester, New Hampshire. Thanks for the tip, Asma. Um, And I spoke with a guy, uh, Jim O'Rourke, 81 years old, was in the Army 22 years, and he was talking about why he likes Trump. And it's a lot because of his stance on ISIS. And he told me that he has never been this scared before, as he has been now for ISIS. I fought in the Korean War, the Vietnam War. I have two Purple Hearts. But this time, I'm afraid for the whole country. I'm afraid for our kids, our grandkids, and everything else. What's coming? And so because of that, he says that he supports all of Trump's stances on Muslims, on ISIS, and he supported the ban on Muslims, and I kind of pushed him on that. How do you define who is or is not a Muslim? How do you, I mean, how would you define it? Yeah, whether an individual is a Muslim or not? Yeah. Does he go to the mosque? Does he pray five times a day? But, like, I'm a Christian, <laughs> I don't go to church. <coughs> you know what the Muslims do? They're, they have to. Okay, so just a bit of 
truth squatting. I mean, I am Muslim. I grew up in a Muslim family. And there's a lot of different types of Muslims. There are your five times a day praying Muslims. There are your Muslims who show up on the big holidays at the end of Ramadan only. I mean, I think that this idea that every single Muslim is incredibly orthodox is is just factually not true. And we had this talk for like 20 minutes. And it made me realize, like, what Trump is saying, some people are saying it's out there, it's too far. But a lot of this stuff that he's saying makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. People want, when they're scared, like a lot of people are feeling fear, they want something like bomb the expletive out of them, like Donald Trump says, or ban everyone because it's Muslims who are doing this, so let's keep them all out. That's a nice, easy way for people to feel like they think they know what's going on. And for a man like that, for his generation, they're used to wars that are state actors against state actors. And they're wearing uniforms, you know, who to fight. Right. But, you know, this idea of terrorism that might be homegrown without even a link to another country and there's no one to blame for it in a very easy way with very easy solutions, that's that's a very, very scary proposition for a lot of people. All right. Now it's time for Can't Let It Go, our weekly segment where we each talk about the one thing we cannot stop thinking about. Asma? So the thing that I can't let go actually came out of the Harvard study that we've been talking about. It has really nothing to do with politics, but it was kind of an interesting nugget that was in there that kind of intrigued me. And um, I know, Sam, so so I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but uh, (laughs) because I know that you and I perhaps have a little bit different opinions about social added social platforms, social media okay. platforms, okay. in particular Snapchat. Yeah. And so I know everyone's talking I about Snapchat it, and Snapchat it. and how thank you, oh, thank Sam, you. Sam like, doesn't get it. Sam doesn't get that makes me oh, feel I'm better. I'm on Snapchat, but I don't actually know how it okay, works. So Snapchat Sam, star. The interns do it for me. Is <laughs> oh. that, that shout makes out to me the feel terms. better. That's because you're not yeah. twenty years old. I know, right? <laughs> so in this poll they asked eighteen so, so in this poll, they asked uh, 18 to 29-year-olds, which of the following platforms do you have an account on? So number one, number one, any guesses? Instagram? Facebook? Facebook! Thank you. And everyone keeps saying that Facebook is the outdated thing. But but it's such a behemoth, right? I mean, it's such a monster, you would think. And if you're not on it, you're like, 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 The the conventional wisdom that I keep hearing is that, like, oh, if you're 24, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not on Facebook because your grandma's on Facebook. But but it but seems like are. an overwhelming majority of them do have Facebook accounts. And so they sort of go through these different platforms. You know, Instagram does pretty well. Google Plus, Twitter. Wait, wait, Google Plus. They're still asking about no, no, that? No, 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 how no. many of them are Google on Google Plus, 43%. How many, yes. how many of them but are on But that's just because they have Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, the thing with Google Plus is they make you do it if you have Gmail. So, like, you're, you're, Google you're Drive, on yeah. Google Plus if you don't even know it, if anyone, you have Gmail. Anyone in Prodigy chat rooms? He's here all week. So we go down the list, right? We go down the list, Instagram, Google+, Twitter, and then Snapchat. Really? 36% say yes to Snapchat. And that is like nowhere near as high as what I've been hearing and thinking. So, Do you think that the Snapchat audience is actually even younger than that window? Because I I know that um, very young people, like 13-year-old girls that I've met or, you know, very young kids, they are communicating on Snapchat. So wow. the 18 to 29-year-olds are too old. It might Snapchat, skew a little maybe. too old for Snapchat. Uh, I think Food I, for thought. And if you, you use Snapchat, I would actually really love to know. So if you're listening and you have feedback for us and are like, hey, you guys are totally off base here with Snapchat, actually do let us know. I think someone yeah. just tried to message us, but we missed it because it disappeared. Yeah, but, but don't tell us over Snapchat because we will never find it. You know, speaking of Snapchat, quick shout out. Uh, we do a weekly NPR politics Snapchat on the NPR account about the meme of the week. 
So those who are listening and are on Snapchat, all three of you, check us out there on Fridays. You are actually here to talk about the meme of the week, yeah? Uh, yes. So my Can't Let It Go this week was brought to my attention by our wonderful and amazing congressional correspondent, Susan Davis. She emailed me uh, yesterday, day before, I was in New Hampshire for some Trump stuff. And she's like, oh, my God, Sam, have you seen hashtag Lotus Bars? And I was like, no, what's that? It is this trend that's taken off after First Lady Michelle Obama and an SNL cast member made a college humor video where the First Lady raps, urging people to go to college. We have a bit of it right here. Flotus on the track. Southside Chicago, we all know we had to do overtime every night to make it tomorrow. And everyone could really make their dream true. Hey, kid, listen in in Michigan, that could be you. You. It's I'm not amazed the at how she can carry herself. She can uh, carry a rhythm, you don't think? I mean, she's always had the moves. She can she's dance. Always, like, so, I, I mean, if you can dance, you can rap. But <laughs> this is not great. It's kind of like like school pop, right? I mean, it's like that. Like the, oh, the, the you know, old, oh, kids uh, bop? Yeah, kid, oh. it's like kids bop. Do y'all like it? Yeah, yeah, hey, you know, she's trying. She's trying. She's having fun. You know what? Like, there's this thing, like, don't make fun of people who are dancing because they're just, like, in it and they're having fun. Yeah, except that when I saw myself in my wedding video, I think that's the last time I danced. (laughs) That is why I have not yet watched my wedding video, and it's been 10 years. So this was not the extent of the rap. So once this rap video came out, Twitter had fun with the still image of the first lady behind the microphone and the hashtag Flotus Bars took off and people made up lyrics for the first lady. A few of them were quite funny. There was one that said, I mama, Miss Obama, usually rock the Prada, first lady armada. I think we need some beats. No, we don't. So I saw one from Susan herself. Did you see that one? No, what did Susan do? Pull it up. Oh my gosh, does anyone have their phone here? Susan's was good. It was Was about... Was it on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, she posted it and it was on having veggies. Do you want to read it? Oh, Susan? Yeah, go ahead. She says, uh, here's mine. Eat my veggies from organic farms. Who needs guns when you got these arms? I need to hear a little better. Yeah, uh, a little little more. Come harder with the Dominican. I'm sorry, it was a little too poetry. Is (laughs) that what you... I'm not rapping this. <laughs> From a diaphragm. You got this. Try it again. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Domenico, what's yours? Well, I know we had said at the top of this that we were going to try hard not to get to Donald Trump. But of course, we did. And the thing that I have to tell you that I can't let go this week is the fact that Republicans are waiting and planning for a brokered convention. And I think that the rules are something that a lot of us who love the rules and love things like delegate allocation are going to start to get a lot of attention in the next couple of months. So define brokered convention for us. Well, that's when there's a floor fight, essentially, at the convention. Convention is supposed to be sort of a beauty pageant where, you know, you show up and, hey, here's our here's our guy or here's our woman and they make their convention speech and you know they try to build momentum going into the general election but it's really about delegates and votes these are people who were assigned to that candidate based on the results in various primaries and they all get together and they vote for that actual uh, nominee now what happened in 2008 for example with uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton because Hillary Clinton had conceded to Barack Obama all of her delegates she rallied them together and by acclamation said let our nominee be Barack Obama it was a nice moment of unity that unity may not be what we see at this Republican convention if Donald Trump is still the guy winning a lot of these delegates so what happens in that scenario like really quickly well the the big 
problem for Republicans that they changed this year is that they decided to bind a lot of the delegates to try to get a front runner a better chance of winning so that this thing didn't drag on for so, so long. So that helps Trump? That could help Trump if he winds up winning, you know, 20, 25 percent of the vote that he's been getting, especially in a really big field. He could wind up going into convention with a quarter of the delegates already bound to him and, you know, with the with everyone else, maybe not coalesced around another candidate. So do you have your delegate spreadsheet ready to go it at this is, point? It is uh, getting hot off the copier at this point. We are uh, finalizing what the rules are in all of the states. We're talking about things like proportionality and <laughs> thresholds of 15 to 20 percent and uh, winner take all states and how those have changed. It's going to be so much fun. I just I'm, never want to hear superdelegates again. So superdelegates don't exist on the Republican oh, side. Oh, good. And we already know that the superdelegates on the Democratic side, uh, that Hillary Clinton has a 45 to 1 advantage over Bernie Sanders, who's actually never been a Democrat. So he doesn't have the same ties oh. that the Clintons do to the campaign. Interesting. Yep. Mm. Interesting. All right. Tam, what's yours? Mine is Serial, the mega successful podcast is back. Okay, can we not have spoilers? I haven't heard it yet, the first... Okay, I don't know what counts Everyone as dies a at the spoiler. End. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that enough of it has been on cable news that nothing I'm going to say okay. right now is truly a spoiler. But it is about Bo Bergdahl. As you might remember, he is this soldier who wandered off of his base in Afghanistan and was picked up by the Taliban, was held captive by the Taliban for five years. And then last year, the White House, President Obama did a trade. There was a prisoner swap, five Guantanamo detainees for Bo Bergdahl. And what started out in theory as a positive story, the White House thought it was going to be a very positive story, almost immediately turned into a, a firestorm of controversy. And now Serial the Podcast is going to dig deep, deep, deep into this. And as a White House correspondent, to me, it's fascinating because every week, the White House, this story that was supposed to be a good news story for the White House and then turned into a very uh, complicated, not such a good news story for the White House. This is going to come back every week. Now, was there a chance that the story unravels to be good for the White House or no? Anything is possible. I mean, anything is possible. Well, the fact that the White House is probably not all that thrilled with having to you know, find out so as a surprise every week, what the yeah. potential news might be as everyone else downloads it, that's uh, never fun for a White House press person. So can I ask you just a real quick question? Yeah. I'm curious about this. Do you feel like from the first episode you've heard so far that there could be political implications being that this is, you know, Bo Bergdahl's story is so tightly knit with the Obama White House legacy Absolutely. and this could carry over to say, sort of Hillary Clinton or sort of what we'll see. I don't know that it would like. necessarily carry over to Hillary Clinton, but anytime the president's ratings go down, that does hurt a Democrat. Yeah. And I don't know if this podcast is going to make his ratings go down, but I do know that the White House, based on the, you know, the promo inside the, the first podcast, the White House and its role in this is, is going to get some light shined on it. Uh, listen, it's a podcast. All right. That's a wrap for this week. Thanks for listening. And we want to remind you that you can hear a lot more of NPR's political coverage if you turn on your radio. Yes, your radio. Tune in to your local public radio station or stream us online. We're on NPR's Morning Edition and All Things Considered, talking about this kind of stuff all the time. Or you can also find us on Twitter. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the show. We're all there. 
I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter here at NPR. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and uh, the campaign. And I'm Asma Khalid. I cover politics and demographics. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. We'll see you next time on the NPR Politics Podcast. Mm-hmm.